Hey everybody, it's Howie Spangler from Tales from the Green Room Podcast. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to say how grateful I am that you're tuning in and listening um, all this time. It's It's been, I'm kind of mind blown. It's been like an amazing sort of experience. Uh, I have a lot of fun doing it. I've been on the road recently and uh, people have come up to me at the merch table saying how much they enjoy listening to the show. And um, yeah, it's just been incredible to uh, to get that feedback. The, the reception has been been really great. If you would like to officially support the podcast, you can do that now. Um, there's three price tiers, 99 cents a month, 4.99 a month, or 9.99 a month. Um, you can cancel any time, uh, but every little bit helps. I just want to keep being able to make these more often and uh, keep serving up the quality content. And if you're enjoying the show and you, maybe you're learning something or uh, maybe it's entertaining for you or maybe you just like the sound of my voice, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I would love to have you as an official supporter of the Tales from the Green Room podcast. All you have to do is go to the profile. You can go to talesfromthegreenroom.com and just hit support this podcast and select whatever price tier you'd want. Again, you can cancel anytime you want. No pressure at all. Everybody's got to eat. I totally understand that. In any case, I am just happy to have you here in the first place. Thank you so much. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. It's Howie Spangler, Tales from the Green Room, episode 24. Getting back into our track-by-track track series for the record Detonate. Uh, it's coming out September 28th at Ballyhoo Joint right there. Uh, pre-order tomorrow, everybody. Tomorrow, get your pre-order on August 31st. Um, really stoked. Can't wait for you to, uh, to hear what we got going on, man. Um, you're going to get three tracks. And uh, the title track, Detonate, is one of them. And uh, we filmed a video, too. We shot a video the other day. This is how crazy technology is. Uh, filmed a video on Tuesday, and I brought it home and edited it. Edited it. Edited it. Edited it. Edited it. Right? I edited it. We did. I, I did it. I brought it home and did it. And uh, it's done. It's ready to go. It's... Uh, It'll be live tomorrow. So a brand new video for Detonate to coincide with the pre-order. Uh, going live tomorrow. Everywhere. YouTube. IGTV. Instagram story. So look for that. Um, follow me on uh, Instagram too. It's uh, at Howie Spangler. No E in Howie. Um, everybody puts an E in Howie. And I guess I can't be too mad at it. I mean, that's how you spell Howie. Typically, right? Um, but... I don't know. I just like being different. Um, so, Valley, who has some shows coming up uh, this Saturday? We're going to be in Tampa at the Summer Rum Festival at the uh, Curtis Hickson Park. Curtis Hickson Park. That's what it is. Curtis Hickson Park um, with Sugar Ray. So, uh, if you don't have tickets for that, get it now. Come say what's up. We play at 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, Tampa. On Saturday, uh, next weekend, September 6th, we're going to be at the Greasy Luck Brew Pub in New Bedford, Massachusetts, Boston area with Buff and Uglies. Uh, September 7th, Port City Music Hall in Portland, Maine. Haven't been there in a while. Also with Bump and Uglies. And then uh, September 8th, uh, Garden Grove Festival in Southwick, Mass. I cannot say Southwick. Southwick, Southwick, Massachusetts. Southwick, Massachusetts is where we're going to be <laughs> September 8th. For the Garden Grove Festival with Badfish and many more. Always fun playing with those guys. Uh, and then uh, a little more locally, we've got, if you're you know local to the Maryland uh, area, Del Marva. Uh, 
The Depot, September 21st at York, in York, PA, and Union Jacks in Annapolis, September 22nd. Uh, yeah, get tickets for that because it, it sold out and it was crazy last time. So, uh, yeah, do that. Um, any other news going on right now? I don't know. Maybe I should just get to it. All right, we're going to talk about a brand new song called Selling Out. It's actually not that brand new, uh, but I'll get into that. Um, not every song on the record is uh, brooding and emo and dark like I've been talking about. I mean, a lot of them are, but it's more like uh, the record as a whole, I'd say, is just sort of reflective um, and just a little, it just kind of dives deeper into my thoughts and feelings about, I guess, my life. I just, a lot, a lot of, many, many facets of my life, um, from uh, home, you know, the work-life balance, or maybe lack thereof, more work than life, maybe, um, how it affects my family, and um, how it affects me mentally, and uh, all the sad things that have happened and then and then uh the the kind of struggles of being in a touring rock band and trying to get things off the ground you know um and pursuing a dream that you know i had as a kid like literally probably six years old um is when i remember having this little dream you know and so just sort of the the reflection of everything that's happened you know since then i guess um that's kind of what this song is about Let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Drinking, uh, drinking coffee out of my Ninja Turtles cup. This is like one of the best gifts ever. Uh, Danielle got me this for Father's Day, I think, four or five years ago, I think. And uh, it's, I, I drink out of it pretty much every day. Pretty much every day. It's awesome. It's got a little little chip, a couple little chips on the bottom there, or I maybe uh, sat it down in haste, um, but man, it's cool, it's got a little bit of wear, a little distressed looking, but I got the, the 80s version of the, the Ninja Turtles here, and it's like they're all tiled just all around it, the entire cup, and it's a green mug too, I love it a lot is the bullet point of this. Um, all right, so today we're going to talk about a song called Selling Out. Um, the, uh, so in the 90s, in the 90s, well, okay, how should I start the story? Um, I wrote this song in the 90s. Okay, let's start, with, let's start there. This song is actually over 20 years old. Um, I think I wrote it in 97. Uh, I was just a boy, just a boy, and uh, I, I, you know, I back then it's like when you're in like middle school, high school, you have, you know, being a teenager, you have like uh, silly thoughts, and um, a lot of my writing reflected that. I wrote a lot of silly shit, like a lot of things that I just wouldn't say now as an adult, <laughs> as a fully grown man with a family. Um, so, okay, back in 1998, we uh, went to a studio for the first time in Baltimore, um, Cloud Nine Studios in Baltimore, 
and it was the first time in a, in a real studio. Um, the guy had the the board there and um, all the different isolation rooms, and it smelled nice. And uh, I guess I don't know. It was just an exciting time. It was our first time doing this for real, and so we recorded this record. Um, in 1998, February 16th, 1998, actually. And my dad uh, paid for it. I think it was like 400 bucks. My dad paid for it. Uh, my dad was, you've heard me say this before, super supportive. He was just very, he was our biggest fan. Um, and he, uh, I told him I wanted to do it. And um, I found a studio and we went down there and did it. And, you know, he paid for it. And it was great. And he hung out the whole day. And he was so stoked when we got home that night. Uh, he'd he'd been had some beers, you know. He brought a, some beers to the studio and was watching us record. And uh, he was so excited that he wanted to take a shot of whiskey with us. And I was like seventeen, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I actually turned down the shot of whiskey. I didn't drink back then at all. I hadn't really touched it. And. Um, yeah, so he was, you know, looking back, I wish I would have done that because it was a, it was a, it was a milestone moment, you know. I should have, should have did. It. I think Donald did it. Donald jumped right in and he did it. Uh, <laughs> but I think Donald was already drinking by then, uh, you know, with his friends on the weekends. Uh, so anyway, we went and did this thing. We did sixteen songs. We did sixteen songs. Um, I remember we recorded and mixed. 16 songs in like 32 hours and so there was no sleep the poor guy the engineer that we were working with was falling asleep at the board like mixing and I remember like wake up dude wake up like I'm this energetic kid like come on man we gotta we gotta get this done and he's like this poor guy's like in his 30s just tired you know oh man (laughs) uh I can't believe we did that. So um, did these songs and uh, everything was like one take, maybe two takes, and it was done. And looking back, it's like, it sounds pretty damn good for what it was. We were very tight uh, for for being a band for only a couple years. and But we, we played a lot of shows, you know, and we practiced every day. Um, so it sounds pretty good. But uh, no one is ever going to, this isn't ever going to see the light of day. Like, they're they're just, I don't know. I don't know, maybe, maybe one day, but so anyway, uh, record a lot of, a lot of these cool songs and, um, selling out was one of them. It was called selling out for the beef. Um, I don't know if, I don't know why I call it that. I just, like I said, my, my stupid teenage mind, I, I just made this silly, had these silly thoughts. Yeah. Selling out for the beef. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's a a reference to where's the beef lady or something in in the eighties. I have no clue. Um, but the song was this, this fast skate punk song. Um, and it was one of the newer ones that, that I had just written. So I was excited to get it down. And I want, I remember wanting to open the record with it. That was the first track. Um, so that anytime I made like a tape for a club or something like that to try to get into, I would put that as the first song. Um, so, uh, what it was was sort of like the idea of because in the '90s, uh, selling out was a big term for a band or an artist that uh, 
you know, change their style or whatever in order to get to a higher place, you know, of popularity in spite of, you know, the art. Um, so, you know, if you're not writing pop songs to, or whatever, to get on the radio or MTV, um, but then suddenly you start doing that and you get on MTV, people will call you a sellout, you know? Um, punk bands, punk bands always had to deal with this thing where, uh, if they signed to a major label that they'd be called, they'd be called sellouts by their, their, uh, their community and the community would basically stop listening to them and protest um, because you're supposed to keep it indie. Um, for me, I think it's uh, every band is their own band and they're the only people in that band. So if they decide that they want to do something like that, then that's up to them. You know, um, Some of these people have families and they, you know, they'd maybe like to make a little bit of money off of their, their hard work. Um, did that sound bitter at all? <laughs> There's subtext. Uh, so the the whole idea of the song was to write about um, one day being super famous, and th- and back then it was like one day meaning like next month for me, you know, or next year. Like we're gonna be this huge band on a tour bus and all these doing arena tours and playing with some of the biggest bands. And I used to make flyers, like I used to draw flyers with the Ballyhoo band logo at the time, and then like. Green Day and Silver Chair and Bush, <laughs> all playing the you know Baltimore Arena, whatever, um, stuff like that. Little Dreamer, and so it was sort of like that. It was kind of a take on like how I was going to be super famous and all the chicks were going to love me and at, at my high school and, um, you know, so it was very like the the lyrics were very juvenile and uh, immature, you know. Um, but it was all, it was coming from a real place, you know, it was like just me being the type of guy I was, I was always just this kind of silly fucking nerdy dude. Um, I mean, let's be honest, I'm still a, just a silly nerdy dude when it comes down to it. I never grew out of that. (laughs) Um, always trying to find the cool, you know, always trying to fit in with the cool kids. Um, so, uh, we were playing these, uh, doing these punk shows in, um, VFWs around town and, um, community centers and things like that. And, uh, the song was going off really well and it was just always fun to play. And we played it for a while, um, before we actually recorded the, the, the first official record 365, um, that came out in 2000. But by then, the uh, the style had kind of changed a little bit. We were doing more, well, like we were starting to incorporate, incorporate reggae and um, kind of get gro- more groovy with it. At the time, our bass player was uh, real funky. And uh, he, so we had a couple of songs that with slap bass and things like that. So the, the, the first record is all over the place stylistically. Um, and... I honestly, I can't listen to it. I, I really have a hard time listening to our old records. Like, it's just the way that the band sounds now, the way I sing now. Like, I always, and my producer might have produced some bands now, and the last, all the Ballyhoo records, things like that. Like, I just, um, 
I'm like, ah, oh, why did we do that? Or why did I let that go? And why did I sing like that? Like, I, it's hard to listen to, <laughs> um, if you can understand that. Um, so years later, years later, fast forward to 2018, <clears throat> I see this uh, opportunity to maybe take one of these songs and make it new again, you know, re-record it and do the things I wanted to do with it. And the funny thing is, when I thought about that song, is we didn't change anything. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same, except for the lyrics. Okay, I, I changed the lyrics, because come on, they're, I was like 16 or something when I wrote these, this song, and like it was just silly. So I couldn't sing that shit um, today, you know? So uh, I changed the lyrics, I left a couple of lyrics the same, actually, but I rehashed everything else. And uh, it, the reason why I had, I had picked the song to possibly be on the record was because um, I knew the, the, the songs that we already had were like more, <clears throat> more rock-driven, punk rock, you know, a little bit, little bit of ska, like sort of tapping into the old sound. And I was like, well, this might fit like right in the middle somewhere. So I talked to Donald about it and uh, my brother and... He thought that was a cool idea, and it'd be something we could do very fast. I mean, I think we did it in one, maybe two takes, again, <laughs> but uh, played it a lot better. And uh, lyrically, so <clears throat> the original song was was more like, uh, "What what's it what it's gonna be like? It's gonna be, I'm gonna be rich. I'm gonna be." you know, there's going to be girls everywhere. Like I'm going to be this like famous dude and my band's going to be huge. And, uh, you know, all that. Oh, I got this damn, this tambourine over here stuck on this cable. All right. Cool. Um, I love the tambourine. So I decided that, um, I was going to, I was going to flip it and sort of reflect on how things are now as opposed to what I thought they were going to be, right? And so I thought it might be cool to tell that story a little bit. Um, so uh, it's funny because um, I think the first, the original lyrics in the chorus, were, or the pre-chorus, were, um, can't wait to be rich and famous, that's just going to rock. All these chicks at my school are going to want to see my cock. See, see how stupid that sounds? It's like so, so immature. I can't sing that shit today. Shit's ridiculous. I'm like, ah, ugh, you know? So uh, so I changed it back. I went, I went through and I'm like, ah, oh, all my friends are getting married. Bands are breaking up. But I'll keep playing my guitar because I don't give a fuck. Uh, and it's just, I don't give a fuck if I'm running out of time. My 15 minutes of fame will arrive. Manifestation of getting paid, getting laid, it's great to be alive. Um, that's the line I kept. Uh, getting paid, getting laid, it's great to be alive. I, I just thought that was a fun line. And I, that's like probably the one line that I kept from the old days. <laughs> Everything else is just high school and, you know, just, you know, again, I was just a boy. Just a boy. Um, so what I'm trying to say is you're welcome. Uh, that way you don't have to feel embarrassed to uh, sing that dumb shit in your car in front of your kids <laughs> or at the, you know, at the shows. Um, 
But it was interesting. Uh, the line I was driving one day, and that those lines came really quickly. Um, I was like, man, that sounds cool. It's just something that it's so true. Because getting older when you're in a band, um, as an adult, and you start to have a family and things like that happened to a lot of my friends bands where uh they're out there they're doing pretty well you know they're playing around town maybe touring a little bit and somebody has kids and having kids is awesome but right but some people just i don't know i guess they they let it take over i mean you obviously kids deserve as much attention as possible, but um, you're trying to build something as well. And so it's this weird balance, you know? Um, and uh, I fully understand when, uh, when bands break up because, you know, life happening. Um, for me, it was always going to be this. You know, this is something I've worked for for a very long time since I was a kid. And um, I can't imagine just throwing it all away like that um and so you just make it work and some of my friends bands they couldn't make it work and that's okay but for me it just feels like there's something here you know something worth it um but i digress um so uh yeah so the song is kind of like sort of playing on on that like I'm going to keep going. All my friends are getting married and break the bands are breaking up and uh but I'm just going to keep I'm going to keep pushing forward, you know. Um I've got a good support system here and I push forward on that that feeling, you know, um of just like I'm going to be able to provide a good life for my family, my kids, you know. Um you got to go down swinging, man. That's it. Going down in flames. Down with the ship. <laughs> um, so, uh, <clears throat> the other reason that I picked this song, it's a little deeper. Um, I, uh, going back to, you know, my dad paid for that record back in 98. He, he's the one that paid for it because he was such a big fan and just loved everything we were doing. And I remember thinking like, after he passed away, I was like, man, he's never going to hear this, any new songs, you know, like he was always super, he would call me, I'd send him, I'd send him like all the rough mixes and stuff. I'm like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? Check out this new song. And he would love it. He would just call me and he'd listen over and over again and call me and say, oh, these are so badass, dude. These are so awesome. Like you guys are, you guys are great. Um, so kind of with that, that thought, like it was like, yeah, he's not going to hear this stuff. So it's kind of a nice feeling because um, we were able to take this old song that he was originally there for and he has heard before and it's going to come out on the new record as this kind of brand new thing and it's, it's kind of comforting in a way for me to think that like he's heard a song from the new record you know it's just kind of nice um this whole thing ended up being kind of a tribute to him, a tribute to both of my parents. Um, just very emotionally driven to put this thing out and uh, 
you're going to hear like me working things out for sure. Front to back. Um, but again, it's, it's a fun song, you know, uh, and I'm just kind of, sort, I'm making fun of all of the, uh, just all the life shit, you know. Um, so in, in the, in the first verse, I talk about, um, played my first rock show when I was 15. You know, we were, we were in, uh, 1996, March 1st, the, uh, Aberdeen High School North Gym, and the first time we were, on, we were ever on stage, we played, we opened the show with Armitage Shanks by Green Day, um, probably my favorite Green Day song, and, uh, the, I remember we, we came out and Donald started hitting that, hitting those, uh, that drum, you know, the drum fill at the beginning there. And just the, the crowd that we had, all the kids from the school, like they just went nuts and, um, so fun. It was just the best thing. I remember being really nervous, super nervous going up there, just adrenaline, just like, oh my God, this is, we've been working, you know, we practiced for eight months in my mom's basement for that show and it, it finally we were there and went on stage and I remember just getting the drums going and then like kind of being up front and like about 30 seconds in man it was like all right this is what I want to do for the rest of my fucking life this is it right here this feels amazing I don't know what it was man probably narcissism at its highest degree <laughs> right uh but it was just a great, it was a great feeling. And I knew that I just wanted to stick with it as long as I could. Um, so that's what that, that first line's about. And then immediately, but now it don't look like it did in my dreams, right? Uh, so it's kind of, I'm sort of addressing the looking back and addressing like, well, you know, you're not uh, this big famous huge rock band like you like you wanted to be you know I wanted to be on SNL and Rolling Stone mag and all that stuff um and you realize the it just takes a lot of work and it's not easy um <laughs> so so that's what that line's about um the radio don't want no kids from Aberdeen the late shows don't care and we lost MTV so I'm kind of talking about um the way it was in the 90s it was like you get on MTV you become this big famous thing. You get on the radio, you become this big famous thing. And these days it's just, you know, the radio is just not what it was. And MTV is it's I consider it gone, really. I mean it's not it's not what it used to be. I remember getting so excited about the VMAs, man. Like wanting to be in the VMAs so bad, perform, win, whatever. Uh, you know, these these childhood dreams. And now it's like I could care less to be on that. Like, what is it? What is this thing now? It's what does it mean to get a video music award in 2018? You know, um, it's the it's the weirdest sort of flip. I don't know. Um, yeah, then it's uh, all my friends are getting married, bands are breaking up, but I keep playing my guitar because I don't give a fuck if I'm running out of time. My 15 minutes of fame will arrive. And, and that's, I remember, uh, that's also a line that I kept from the first song was, um, uh, my 15 minutes of fame has arrived. And 
you know, now I'm like, it will arrive. Like, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's kind of what I'm talking about these days. Um, and then, uh, so the second verse, I, I get into the, uh, kind of talk about the 2000s, about what happened. So um, we had, I had several major labels approach us in the uh, early to mid 2000s. Probably, I'd say, 2000. One two thousand two till about two thousand seven. Uh, we had several major labels approach us, and major labels. I mean, everybody wanted to sign to to a big label, you know, in the nineties, and uh, it was just the way to go. Nowadays, completely different. Nobody wants to sign the labels because they take all your money, and you know, you do all the work, and you know, there's no guarantees, and so. Uh, so I talk about that um, and I, I, I was approached by a guy um, from DreamWorks Records I got an email one day hey man somehow I got a hold of the, the music I, I I don't know how um, and he wanted to meet up and he was he was based out of Philly or New York or something like that and came to a couple shows and uh, we talked about things and it's I don't know back then it's I, I, I was very stubborn about my band how we sounded how we looked uh, you know I wasn't gonna fire anyone be, because someone else said you should get somebody else because they're you know they don't look as good or they don't they're not playing as well or something like that you know um I was like, this is the band. Like, this is who we are. You know, take it or leave it kind of thing. And everybody left it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was the first sort of bigger letdown, I guess. You know, here, here I am. I'm like 20, 21 years old, talking to a major label A&R guy. And thinking like, oh my God, we did it. We finally, somebody, somebody finally heard the band and likes the band. And uh, after a few months, it just sort of dissolved. Um, and then in 2005, um, 2005, I was approached by um, Diana Meltzer. She, she was number one A&R person of 2004. And so her and her husband were the head of Wind Up Records. And they have uh, they had Creed and Finger Eleven and uh, Evanescence. You know, so they were a big label. They had a lot going on. I knew that they, they had money. They, they, they could market, you know. And they seemed to get behind their bands. Um, I remember her telling me a story how they put... Amy from Evanescence like up somewhere for a while so she could just kind of clear her mind you know what I mean like and and just to, they, like kind of they, they nurture their bands in a way like we want you to be surrounded in the best situation so you can just write the best music you know and I thought that was cool so I got this email again and it was uh, from Diana Meltzer and she's like I love your songs um, you guys are really cute, <laughs> right? Um, 
and uh, I'd love to talk about some stuff for windup. And I was like, super excited. So we were right in the middle of recording Do It For The Money at this point, our second record. And man, it's like looking back, like we weren't prepared. We didn't have anything in order. Um, I don't even think we had like an updated uh, eight by 10 glossy. Those are the, we don't do those anymore. Like nobody does those anymore. It's the eight by 10 glossy. It's eight by 10 photo of the band, black and white with like contact info at the bottom. Um, so I don't think we had one of those updated. <clears throat> we uh, were right in the middle of recording this record and so nothing was done. So all I had was like rough mixes to send her thing. And, and there were even things missing from the songs. Like I just, I picked like the songs that I thought were like the best, I guess. And a couple of them didn't have all the parts, you know, like all the layers. Like I like to layer up guitars and things. And um, the vocals were, it just didn't sound good, you know. Um, but that's all we had. So I sent her the songs and we talked for a few months. All this, it always takes like months, you know, of going back and forth. Um, so I, she's all excited and couldn't, couldn't wait to meet us and do a showcase. Bands, bands, um, <clears throat> I don't even know if bands still do this, but back in the day, bands would um, get with an A&R person, they'd, and then work on a, a, a showcase to take to the label. They'd, they'd perform for label executives. And uh, I guess the label would, <clears throat> the label would decide from there to whether to sign them or not. And so she was all excited and she just couldn't get her husband excited about it. Um, and looking back, yeah, of course not. We sounded not good. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a blown experience, you know. It was just one of those things, like a blown opportunity. Um, had we had the record finished and more polished, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? But um, just wasn't the right time, I guess. So again, that dissolved. Another big heartbreak. I was so fucking bummed out about that. And uh, this was right before we started touring. We hadn't even been touring yet. We we played everywhere we could but you know locally maryland delaware philly dc but uh so you know just you press forward and we finished the record released do it for the money in 2006 and uh went on tour in april of that year april 25th april 26th 2006 uh started the started the tour in cleveland that was our first tour and it was like six weeks the band caught on fire and everything that's that's a different podcast episode um but uh so 2007 i get a i get a myspace message we're in the myspace era now who's coming with me um i get a myspace message from a guy an a &R guy at J Records. They have Alicia Keys, uh, Mario. Remember Mario? Um, major label, Clive Davis. Clive Davis owns the label. 
<clears throat> this guy's like signed so many incredible artists, right? So I'm fucking stoked. I'm just like, all right. Like, we've got some touring. We've got a bit of a story. At least I thought we did. And there's, you know, the, the, the songs are doing well. Like, the record, the last record's doing well. And again, we're in the middle of recording Cheers. We're in the middle of it, right? So there's nothing finished. Always fucking missing it. Always just missing it, right? Back then, it was, like, hard to get studio time. It was expensive, and nobody, I mean, nobody just had studio gear at their house like they do today. It's, it's weird, you know, like 10 years later, 12 years later, whatever it is. Um, so didn't really have everything we needed. We, again, talked for several months. Um, he came to a couple shows. We hit it off. It was, it was great. He seemed to enjoy it. And he was like, you know, you guys could be like, you guys could fill that void where Sublime you know, isn't there anymore. I think, I think people still want that. I was like, I do too. I think so too. You know, I think our style would do really well if, if, if we had a chance to be shown, you know, uh, to the world, I guess. And so, uh, did a couple shows for him. We were getting ready to do a showcase. He was like, yeah, I'm putting together uh, your showcase for Clive. And I was like, oh, fuck. We're going to play for Clive. Holy shit. We're going to play for Clive. And I don't know. Just fizzled out. <laughs> so one day I called like, so what's what's up, man? Like, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, this showcase. And everybody's like, ah, man. Yeah, they want to see more of a story and, you know, get some more experience with you. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, are you shitting me? I was like so, oh my God, I was I was so bummed out. You know, I was fucking destroyed. I'm like, it, it was hard. It was a hard time. It was a hard time. You, I mean, there's so much work and you just feel like, you know, having been approached by a couple of labels in the past, before that point and the other little things that happened as well you know um, these, are just, these are just some of the, the bigger things but like it was all validating it was like man there's there's something to this like th this is this is a real thing like this could really happen we could really do something really big with this I gotta stick with this you know um, I felt that we were really good at it and don't let it go and for whatever reason it just didn't it just didn't like gel. And it was so frustrating. I couldn't figure it out. Um, so I, I, in the song, uh, I mentioned, uh, <laughs> I mentioned, uh, like 2000s were setting the tone, um, record executives calling my phone, but we were too offbeat for the status quo. Because they don't like reggae or Route 40 hoes. <laughs> now, if you've listened to all our records, you know that Route 40 Ho is the closing track of our first album. Just a dumb acoustic song that I wrote like that day in the studio. We all thought it was hilarious, so we, we put it on there. And I'm, I'm, my little brother, my baby brother at the time, uh, had these little toys, like little instruments. And like one was like a little horn. He had like a, 
Gazoo, 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 gazoo. Um, brain farting right now. Um, so we put that on the record. Anyway, like, this is a silly ass song. And, <clears throat> and then the whole reggae thing. I remember a guy, a guy telling me one time, a different guy, because we had this kind of pop punk kind of Green Day sound at first. And then I started mixing in like ska and reggae and stuff. And this guy had heard the music, the first record after we had started mixing it. He'd heard like some of the older songs, I guess. Some of the punk songs. And then he heard this the first record, which has like more reggae on it. He, he says, Ah, yeah, you need to you need to go back to playing the punk shit. Like, don't don't be doing this reggae thing, you know? And I remember just being like, Well, that's what we do, so you know, fuck off. Um So that's that was the line. It was like a funny line, like because they don't like reggae or Route 40 hosts. Like, so funny. We were too offbeat for the status quo, meaning like the type of music we were playing just wasn't right for radio, the the whole climate, you know, the landscape of radio and MTV just wasn't ready for something like what we were doing. Um, so that's where those lines come from. They're, they're funny to me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the very, the song now, it just sort of reflects on a frustrating era for me as a songwriter, as a guy in a touring band with other guys in a touring band, you know, it's, uh, it's not an easy road for us. And I've seen bands break up over the dumbest shit. And I've been in the same band since I was 14 years old. I can't imagine not having, not having this band, not living this life, um, writing these songs, playing shows for people that love these songs, you know, and, and are spending their hard-earned money to come see us play them. Like, it's it's wild. Um, I just always felt like there was something to this, and one day it was going to pop, you know, and I still see it. In spite of everything that's happened, in spite of the the hard times and the 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 fighting and the you know the 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 van almost exploding and just in spite of all of that all the label turn downs and it's just I just know that that this shit is gonna take off it really is and I I don't need to be on MTV or you know the late shows or the Rolling Stone cover I don't need that anymore like I did as a kid I just want to I just want to live a good life with my family and doing doing what I love to do which is create and that that's it and I feel, I don't feel like I don't feel like it's too much to ask for so I'm going to keep working I'm going to keep working really hard um on my art and I'm going to blow this shit wide open Whoa, got a little deep there at the end, huh? So, selling out. It's uh, it's a fun one. I'm telling you, it's a fun one. It's a, uh, it's a song that is. It it sort of makes fun of the whole selling out thing. How bands these days um, are looking for side hustles and and 
starting other businesses and things along with the music, you know, it's not about selling out anymore. It's about creating revenue streams because bands, artists don't make money like they used to off their, off their music. And so we got to find other ways. And we are very appreciative of uh, everyone that, that comes with us. And if you don't want to come with us, you can fuck off. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Uh, you can pre-order the new record, Detonate, tomorrow, August 31st. Get three songs, including Detonate, the title track. And we are also premiering the brand new video for Detonate that we shot two days ago <laughs> at Sheffield Institute. Thank you to Sheffield Institute for uh, letting us come and use your soundstage and film a video. By the way, that was very nice of them. Um, really stoked for, uh, for everybody to see the video. It looks awesome. And uh, pre-order that record tomorrow, man. So tell your friends. Tell everybody. Spread the love. And let us know what you think of the... Uh, let us know what you think of the songs. Um, make sure you follow me on Instagram, Howie Spangler. Please uh, rate and review. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Um, let's keep it up in the charts there. If you'd like to support the podcast, go to talesfromthegreenroom.com. Hit the support the podcast button. You can pick a, a, a monthly subscription, 99 cents, $4.99, $9.99, whichever you'd like. You can cancel anytime you want. Um, it keeps me going here. I can... Uh, make the production a little better for you with every episode and uh, do this a little more a little bit more frequently thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you soon <laughs>